You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. Hey, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse family. I wanted to remind you before the show starts that if you are considering travel nursing, you can go to their website today at trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and start seeing opportunities right now all across the country. You can see what they pay. You can see the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and we have a really fun episode planned for you today. First of all, I have Nurse Jessica Seitz back for you today. She is such a treat and always so much fun to have on, and she's going to be a regular because, you know, we have this thing planned next year that's definitely going to happen, right, COVID? It's definitely going to happen. We're going to have, we're going to go on the Nurse Con at Sea Cruise and Nurse Jessica Seitz and I are going to do a podcast live on the ship. It's going to be fun. Very excited. Yay. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So this episode is going to be so much fun because, first of all, we've got, a, of course, a bad, it's just a bad doctor story. I'm not going to apologize to doctors anymore. I, I'm so sorry. Doctors, you guys, I don't know what you guys are up to, but you are in the news. Like, you are, it's easy to find bad doctors. Bad nurses, you're out there, too. But the news media love you doctors when you do bad things. They love you. So sorry, but we have plenty of those. And this is another bad doctor story. And it's quite a doozy, actually. We'll do a little trigger warning because the end of it is quite sad. does involve children. That bothers you. You might want to skip you know, skip to the good nurse story. The good nurse story is so cool. I have had so many listeners send me the story. You guys cracked me up because... Whenever something major like this happens that hits like national media, like CNN and that sort of thing, oh my gosh, you guys flood me with this. Have you heard about this? And, you know, I love it. I appreciate it. Please keep doing that. But this story is wonderful and exciting. And I, I can't wait to get the opinion of the OBGYN of, <laughs> of this happening on this on an airplane. Like, I'm so excited. And then we've got our not necessarily nursing news segment really funny article to read to you guys and then we'll discuss that it's just going to be a fun segment i'm excited so nurse jessica and her husband dr john who is an OBGYN, board certified i'm so happy to have you on first time on well that's actually not true there we had a medical doctor on once but she wasn't board certified because she actually never practiced she was doing something else so yay first time practicing medical doctor on that is amazing honey that is so good we're so glad that you're here too somebody's got to be the first you know <laughs> exactly well he he is so thrilled to be here you will see that him and i feed off of each other like i already know this because i see your videos and i love it 
He is such a good sport with all of Jessica's shenanigans. God bless oh, him. Yeah. God, God bless him. God bless America. God bless If somebody me. can God tolerate me for the for a lifetime, they're a saint. That's all I got to say. Thank you, honey. Thank you. You're welcome. I entertain you. That's what he said. That's why he married me. He said I would never. He would never be bored. I believe it. I believe it yeah. because <laughs> you guys, they're her videos. I know you know who she is, but if if for some reason you are not familiar with her videos, you have to go look her up. Oh my gosh. If you need a smile on your face, just need a laugh for the day, definitely go look up Nurse Jessica Seitz. She is just the most lighthearted, funny, like she's just, her videos are hilarious. She just likes to put a funny spin on, you know, serious things that happen and not so serious, just kind of doesn't take life too seriously, which is what we have to do, especially in the healthcare field. We can't take it too seriously. I don't think we would make it very long in this career, you know, like in healthcare in general. If we took everything yep. seriously, because gosh, we deal with some dark stuff. We need a little outlet. We need to laugh a lot of crazy stuff off. That's for sure. So keep talking about me, Tina. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all good. I'm all good. So our bad doctor story. This story has a Lifetime movie that was done about it. It's actually been out there for a while and it's had a forensic files, a lifetime movie. I'm pretty sure it was on Dateline. It's just been out there for a while, this story. And it's just a very salacious story just because of all the stuff that happened. I mean, it's very involved. And it not only involves one doctor, but two and a nurse. There's literally everybody in this story. So this is the story of Dr. Deborah Green. So Dr. Green she married her second husband, Michael Farrar, in 1979. So we're going back in the day a little bit. You know, if you watch the Lifetime movie, it's really, I don't know, you know, those Lifetime movies, they have to make everything, they have to sensationalize everything. They have to, I don't know, over-dramatize everything, but they have her as a super like, you know, did you watch it? No, I did watch the forensic file one today because it was short. It was only 21 minutes. So I did watch that one, which actually helped bring it to life a little bit better than reading, you know, it on paper. I read like the first two paragraphs and that's it. This will be totally new to me. The Lifetime movie goes along with the storyline pretty closely from what actually happened as any good Lifetime movie would, it definitely over-dramatizes things. It has her being this highly intelligent, which she was, just focused on her career and just very driven to have everything be perfect. And her life was supposed to be perfect. And she had a plan for everything. She had a scrapbook that had all of her entire life kind of laid out before she lived it. And that was the Lifetime movie. Whether that was reality, I don't know, but it definitely made for a good lifetime movie for sure. Deborah wanted to be an oncologist. She worked in emergency medicine. And I do believe she also, I think she worked for a time in, in, in oncology. Michael was a cardiologist. And that's pretty much his specialty. They went on to have three children together. Her responsibilities were kind of stretched between her family and job. And so because of that, she really struggled. She was trying to do that thing that women think they have to do and quote, be it all. And was trying to do all of it. And you can't really do that. It's almost like you got to find a balance one way or another, or maybe both people balance together and figure out how to do it. But it's like almost like she took on the whole thing herself, being mom devoted to her children and family, and then also trying to be a doctor and oncologist. Well, she ended up getting addicted to prescription medication, 
alcohol. Dun, dun, dun. It happens. It happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. Too much stress. Yeah. So Dr. John, I'm curious about this because when I was reading about this and I saw where she struggled to pass her boards, I was thinking she was practicing medicine. So she obviously passed her boards. Was this some sort of recertification? I was a little bit confused about that. Technically, when you finish medical school, you can practice medicine. A board certification is something that you would normally, a test you'd normally take after you finish your residency. And it's pretty much required to, if you're going to practice within a hospital, you, know, you got to be pretty much board, sort, board certified. Sometimes after you do that initial board certification, you have to have do retesting, but it just depends. Now I'm confused. So when you get out of medical school and residency, you're just free? You can just go to the people? When you're done with medical school, you're technically a doctor. Yes. Okay. I thought you had, like nurses, we've got to take the NCLEX, you know? So I thought maybe you had to do like one more doctor test or something. If you're going to just do general medicine, um, you would still be highly advised to do a residency and then take a board certification exam. Okay. The patients would be highly advised to not go to that doctor if they didn't. <laughs> a lot of them don't know. They don't the know that that's yeah. the difference. Mm-mm, that's for sure. So that makes sense. Hmm. She was probably starting out and then needed to take her boards or something. And then okay, uh, that's what I'm guessing. That sounds right, I think. That's interesting because she was very intelligent. Like she was so, she was like at the top of her class with everything. She was just extremely intelligent. But it seems like with her, she developed a problem with prescription medication and with alcohol and she was just struggling. So she couldn't pass her boards, which is such a nightmare. I, I can't imagine being in that situation. It requires too a lot of social skills that, right, John, like you have to be able to, they interview you. It's not just testing. Some specialties require an in-person oral exam. And yes, that that can be very influenced by how you present yourself, whether you're speaking confidently or in an uncertain way can make a huge difference. Yeah, so she might have done good like on paper or testing, but if she had to do oral board certification, oral boards, like uh, some people that just are smart but somewhat awkward, they don't come across the right way. She certainly sounds like one of those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Either that or she was just too drunk to pass the exam. Yeah, she could have just been drunk. One or the other or both. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Well, eventually she did fail her board exams and she kind of just gave up. She was struggling to recover from her third pregnancy. She really just gave up on her career. Instead, she just devoted herself to her children and family life. But she got very depressed. And I'm not surprised someone who was that driven went through four years of undergrad school, went through medical school, and then now she couldn't pass the boards and she's living at home and taking care of children. And that's her entire life. I love my children, but I also have a brain I want to use and I want to be challenged. And if my entire focus was only on my children. Now, when they were younger, I have to say that is that was my focus, but it was my choice to do that. It wasn't like, oh, you can't do this. So the default is take care of your children. I chose to do that, to be at home taking care of my children. It wasn't that I went to school and couldn't pass, you know, the, the, the exams. So, you know, because I, I, I could definitely understand her being in this situation and it being just really depressing, especially if she had, you know, addiction problems. Definitely. That had to be hard on her. Her family and nannies reported that she would have fits of rage. She would have these outbursts. And she even told the nanny one time that she never wanted kids and only had them to keep Michael happy. Oh, God. 
That's horrible. That's a horrible thing to say. I, I don't under, I'm just wondering why she didn't, why she didn't decide to like maybe, you know, have a, the nanny full time where she could still work. I mean, people do that. Like if, if she was this type that like didn't really like the mommy role, like, I mean, obviously they, I'm sure they made probably enough money between the two of them um, to have somebody there to take care of the kids all day. Or maybe the guilt was getting to her. Like maybe she felt like that should be her role, that she should be home and be a mother and was kind of torn by that. Like, you know, or maybe it was a sign, like she didn't pass the boards. So that combined with the guilt of I need to be a mom, like maybe that was all toying with her mind a little bit I you know I'm trying to just kind of process that it was a much different world back then I mean they were definitely making a lot more money than doctors do nowadays and she was probably in a situation you know where there were not nearly as many female physicians at that time as there are now today I mean when I went to school I think our class was the first class that had more females than males in the class you know so back in the 70s you know this certainly wasn't the case you know? so she probably overcame a lot to get to that point and then to feel like she wasn't going to do it she probably was in a dark hole Deborah Green Deborah poor Deborah Green I think yeah her. poor Deborah you know what though I mean we talked about this the last time Jessica, uh, the thing is that you can't blame your bad acts on bad things that have happened to you. I just am not a believer in that. I just think that you have to figure out how to overcome those things. You can't just be like, you know what? The world has been mean to me, so I can be mean to the world. That's not the answer to anything. And so it seems like she was kind of doing that. You can sympathize with her up until this point. You kind of, you get it. You get that she was struggling, but it's where the story takes a turn that then you're like, eh. Not cool, Deborah. Not cool. To be saying things like, I, I never wanted children and only had them, just disgusting things like that. And then obviously some of the later behaviors that she exhibited. They did decide to accompany their son, Timothy, on a school trip to Peru because they were trying to reconcile some of their issues. And that didn't work because Michael met a nurse <laughs> by the name of Margaret. <laughs> Hello, enter the nurse. Mm -hmm. We always get a bad rap, don't we, Jessica? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've had a bad rap my whole life. I don't know. I, I kind of feel for <laughs> Margaret in this. I think I'm Margaret. I think I'm the Margaret of the story. <laughs> we won't get into that. That's for another podcast. Right, honey? Sure. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's, that's a whole like other story. Three or four years down the road podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just like... I just I give you props, Margaret. That's all I got to say. All right, carry on, Tina. We have a company, Echo. It's a technology company. They have come out with this like little device that you attach to your stethoscope and it enhances the sound. It's the coolest thing. I was curious about it. So I, I reached out to them. They came back and they were like, hey, let us send you a stethoscope. See what you think. They actually have partnered with Littman and they literally took the Cardiology 4 and they've put the Echo technology that enhances the sound. So they sent this to me and I'm like, oh, wow, OK, I want to try this. And I took it to work and I brought it into the break room and was opening it up. And everybody was like, what is that? I'm like, is this, it's a new stethoscope. I was so excited about it. So I put it on and I immediately go up to a nurse and I'm like listening. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like the best stethoscope I have ever used in my life. It was just so crystal clear. I could not believe the quality of like the heart sounds, the lung sounds, the bowel sounds. I was just listening to everything. And then what was funny is I looked down and there's this little button on it. I'm like, what does this thing do? I push the button 
And lo and behold, like this little light comes on. It was unbelievable. You can hear every sound that the inside of a human body could possibly make. It, I, it's just unbelievable. So they decided to sponsor our podcast, <laughs> probably because I was just like doing backflips, like going, I love this so much. I will literally, I, I have no problem shouting from the rooftops. You need to get one of these stethoscopes. If you want to know what a heart is supposed to sound like, what lungs are supposed to sound like, what bowel sounds are supposed to sound like, you need this technology. It's unbelievable. It's Echo. And the name of the actual stethoscope with the core technology is the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. It's the actual stethoscope that they sent me, and it does feature up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation. It can use Bluetooth. It connects to Echo's free app and software that allows you to visualize, record, share, live stream, and analyze heart, lung, and other body sounds. It's crazy. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. You can go to Echo Health, and it's E-K-O-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com, echohealth.com, and use the code G-N-B-N, like good nurse, bad nurse, of course, for $20 off of your purchase, echohealth.com. So she was the mom of another student on this trip, and Michael and Margaret began an affair. It was a, a long affair that was very serious, actually. Deborah found out and she was incensed about it. She moved into the spare room, started drinking large amounts of alcohol and started taking prescription medication again, like she had done before. So this was just a downward spiral with Deborah. It was not good. When they got back, okay, here they are. Michael had an affair. Deborah's moved into the spare bedroom. Everything is an absolute mess. Michael starts getting sick. He gets chills, diarrhea, nausea, other types of severe symptoms. Well, they just got back from Peru. So the doctors weren't necessarily real shocked. They were just like, oh, well, maybe this has something to do with some weird virus you picked up while you were in Peru. You know, they didn't necessarily stop to think about the fact that he was in a contentious marriage. And could there be some other reason why you're having those symptoms? I don't know about Peru. Peru, but I know some countries you're not supposed to like, they say don't drink the water because like your system's not used to like the things that are in water in other countries. So, I mean, I, I could very well see like, they're like, oh, that's a fitting answer. You know, like that makes sense because I went to Cuba one time for my 40th birthday. And when I came back, I had, honey, what's it called again? What's the the thing called Montezuma's Revenge. Yes, yes, that's what they call it. That's the that's not the real term. That's just what people call it. But basically, it's I don't laugh at me, John. I, I'm going to kill you. I knew not to drink the water, which I didn't. But I wasn't thinking like lettuce is rinsed in water. Like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, I didn't piece all of that together. So like for a month, I had the revenge. I had all those ailments for a month straight, diarrhea, gastrointestinal. I know you all want to hear about nurse Jessica chart in her pants. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah, y'all are like, wow, that's interesting. But I am saying that's very easy to associate that he could have had that. Every time we do admission history for a patient that's being admitted to the hospital, it's like one of the first things we ask them. Have you visited any countries other than the United States? Have you been exposed to this bacteria or that? I mean, you ask all these questions and then people always say, no, no, no. But, you know, if you say yes, then you're just like, oh, okay. You know, the one person out of 10,000 that says, yeah. Oh, and you happen to be having, having diarrhea. So, I mean, I can definitely see where they would associate that with this trip to Peru, you know, and, and not think, Oh, was your wife up to some shenanigans, maybe? 
So he moved into his own apartment. They started divorce proceedings. And according to Deborah, he continued to see the woman that he had been having an affair with. He was ordered by the court to pay her $5,400 a month, which in today's dollars is about $9,500 a month. Look, look <laughs> at my my husband. My husband right now is fuming. Look at him. I'm, I'm like, fuming that I, I wish that I would make that kind of equivalent money. That's what I'm fuming about. <laughs> to be able to give away that much cash. But I will say my husband has teased me multiple multiple times. He's like, you don't ever have to worry about me cheating on you because I never want to give you half. <laughs> like, I think that <laughs> I, it's, it sounds harsh, but it's not for somebody that's worked so hard and gotten a degree and gone to med school and all of that to then just because you go through a divorce, you lose half of everything. Like he always kids me about that. He's like, you won't ever have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to say, but it's exactly like what happened to them. And she wasn't working. So technically he had to pay her money. You know, he had to pay her a lot of money. Yeah. And I think the way the court looks at that is that in this particular case, is that exactly what was happening? Probably not. But the way the court looks at it is you have a man and a woman who are married. They decide to have children. One of them has to stay well, quote, ha has to stay home, you know, to stay, or chooses to stay home and focus on the family and the children as opposed to building their career, moving up the ladder. And so that person should not have to sacrifice just because they've sacrificed all of those years focusing on the children and they didn't have the opportunity to move up. And so the way the court looks at it is you deserve part of that because you supported your spouse. You guys were kind of in it together. She was the martyr. She had to give it all up. And that's why she failed her board exams as kids. Yes. Yeah. She was so stressed out that she just couldn't even take the boards. And I also want to say that back then it was a lot easier to get prescription pain pills. That's the truth. I mean, now you know, they track everything and people are trying, we're trying to end the, uh, or not end, but uh, decrease the amount of people that are addicted to opioids and, and all this other horrible things. And, you know, but back then you could write a script to anybody. Like she probably could write a script to herself and nobody would care. You know, it was, it was a lot easier. That was the seventies and eighties for you. Yeah, I don't think anyone thought that people taking prescription, if, if it's a prescription, it must be okay. I think that was sort of the mentality. Understand that that's not the no, way it is. No, it's not. <laughs> can be abused very easily, for sure. So there he is having to pay all this alimony. He also would come regularly to the house and check on the children. And on one trip to the home to check on things, he found packets of castor beans in her purse. So initially, he thought, Oh my gosh, she's going to kill herself. Wait, Tina, let's ask the doctor. Dr. John, would you have known what a castor bean is? No. If you found castor beans in my purse, would you be concerned in any way, shape, or form? Or would you think it was like a new diet trend or yeah, something? Yeah, I would think, yeah, it's part of the, <laughs> you know, keep, like castor keep oil. Like she's going super keto on me. Okay, so you wouldn't have been like, oh my God, castor beans. She's poisoning herself. Okay, I was just, I'm just curious. I was curious if that was something they taught you in med school or something. Okay. Would you have Googled it? Maybe Googled it. What am I going to Google? What is the name of this bean? No. What is a castor bean? How would I know what to type in castor? She must have had it in a in a packet oh. that says castor bean. Well, then that would be obvious. <laughs> Where do you buy that at? Like Whole Foods? Where do you go to get a castor bean? Just because he sees those in her purse, why would he be thinking... Wow, I should probably look at, I don't know, maybe it was something back in the day that was known. Actually, now that I think about it, the 
forensic files said the packet had a warning label on the packet that said if ingested can be poisonous to humans. Now that I think about it, he did read that label. So I guess that would be a red flag. So even the doctor saw the skull and crossbones. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> kind of put two and two together. That's exactly what happened. It's not like everyone knows what a castor bean is, but he he, he did read the big warning label. She should have put it like in like a little baggie or something. Like, I don't know. She wasn't thinking. She wasn't very, very bright. As bright as you say she was, she wasn't that bright. I would imagine, you know, alcohol and drugs, they make the brain a little fuzzy, even for the most intelligent among us. Yep. So he did think, you know, well, she's been threatening to harm herself. Maybe she really is thinking about doing this. But then he starts looking into castor beans and he finds out that they contain ricin. And this is a poison that can cause symptoms that were similar to what he was experiencing after coming back from the trip to Peru. So the cardiologist is thinking, wow, you know, like it's taken him a while, but he finally starts putting it together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hmm. My ex-wife is having these beans in her purse <laughs> that contain the I'm sorry, substance. It's not funny, but it's that funny. She's got these beans, these crazy beans, and I'm pooping my brains out. Right. And he finally puts it all together and he's like, could this be, could she possibly be maybe somehow finding a way to slip this into my food or somehow causing me to ingest it? Well, he had his blood tested and apparently that, you know, ricin, whatever in the heck that is, leaves the body quickly and they were not able to find any traces in his blood. So he decided to confront her. He, did, he confronted her on the phone after he exhausted all other investigative avenues. And the two had a very heated exchange. Michael claimed that Deborah became very defensive and hung up on him. And about an hour later, on October 24th in 1995, the green Ferrar home caught on fire. Deborah and her three children were there inside. Timothy, Kelly, and Kate. Deborah escaped through an exterior door and ran to the neighbors for help. But sadly, help didn't arrive in time. And Timothy, who was 13, Kelly, who was six, died in the fire. She was able to save her other daughter, Kate, somehow. Firefighters said that it burned quicker and hotter than most fires that they had seen previously. Immediately, arson was suspected. And Deborah and Michael, of course, are at the top of the list of suspects. Deborah reportedly said to a neighbor that she was upset that he was, quote, in her bed, meeting the other woman while their house was burning down. That's a weird comment to make to your neighbor. So wait, wait a minute. I don't wait know. A, the kids, whose mm -hmm. house were the kids at? Like, were they staying with her or staying with the, the dad? With her. They were staying with her. And where was he? Where was uh, Michael? He's at his own like apartment or with the other, his, his girlfriend. And her house caught on fire with the children inside. And only one of those children was able to get out. And while she's standing there watching this house burn down, she made a comment to her neighbor that I get it know, now. He was in her bed. Yeah. Like that's what she's focusing on while your child. Is yeah. That she's taught who, who would even I mean, as much as you're upset about another woman, if your kid is possibly burning up in flames. I don't think that that's the first thing that would come to your mind. Like it would never come to my mind. I wouldn't care. I would there would be nothing that would care inside of me about that. In fact, I, I can't imagine a world in which I would not be in that house dying myself before yeah, I would let my exactly. children. Yeah, she she got herself out of there rapidly. But you know, uh, forget about the, the little ones. Oh, that that's I don't like Deborah anymore. 
We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. So Brayden, you actually reached out to me about CBD Stack because they sponsored a podcast a couple of months ago. And then I was so happy when you reached out to let me know that you really liked the product. So tell everybody your experience with it. So I get chronic headaches. If you saw my life, like what I'm doing, I just had a kid, I'm starting school, I'm moving into a house. I, I just have so much on my plate. So after getting this CBD oil, I tried it. I put it on and within 10 minutes of my headache, it started fading away. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It, it was. So I love CBD stat. They have an excellent product. I use the 5,000 milligrams. It's a lifesaver. Their product is really pure, very strong, and that's probably the reason why it works so well. Yeah. They have a, a really nice like 30% off yeah. discount. That's that's amazing for all of our listeners. And the way that you get that discount is that you have to go to their website at cbdstat.care. So it's not .com or .org or .net, it's .care. So cbdstat.care and then you put forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. So, and by doing that, then it sort of takes you to a special portal where you will get 30% off of whatever you order, which is really cool. It is. And it's 100% worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys, if you're interested in it, go to www.cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse and get your 30% off. You guys, I started travel nursing. So I've been talking about Trusted Health now for what a couple of years. They've been sponsoring the podcast. I've had friends that have used them. They sound like this wonderful, amazing company. It all sounds so easy and like streamlined and just perfectly efficient and just like an easy process to go through. Now I'm doing it myself and I've gone through the whole process. I've done my first couple of weeks as a travel nurse with Trusted Health. And I can 100% with confidence tell you that everything is 100% true. It really is a wonderful company and it works exactly the way they say it does. It's so easy. I would encourage anyone who's listening to this, if you are considering travel nursing, definitely do it. Go to at least go to trustedhealth.com. Be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they know that we sent you there. If you are even a little bit curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and you can see what jobs are out there waiting for you. So on a side note, this was not the first house fire that the Farrar and Green family had experienced. So just about a year before the house that the family lived in on the other side of the state line in Missouri sustained $85,000 worth of damage in a accidental fire. No one was home at the time, so there were no injuries in that one. I will say, Tina, the more that I do these podcasts with you, this repetitive behavior that these crazy individuals do, whether it's repeated arson or, I don't know, repeated, every spouse gets pushed down the stairs and mur and falls somehow and breaks their neck, or it's always like a repetitive behavior. Like, you know, you would think they would change it up a little bit. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, fire one time, maybe... I don't know, somebody accidentally fell asleep in their car with the car running the next time. I, I don't know. I'm just saying they should be a little more creative, right? Like they're, they're, they're not the brightest people. It's like how many times in somebody's life can a house burn down? Like it, it usually doesn't happen 
multiple times. I, I just think it's kind of weird. I think it's probably rare for most people to live in their entire life and have a house right. burned down. So to have two, I think is highly suspicious. I always say this because it never ceases to amaze me. These highly, highly intelligent, you cannot be anything other than a highly intelligent person and go to medical school and graduate with a medical degree. And yet these people do these things. And it's always, it's always doctors. So weird. These <laughs> doctors are nuts. I don't know what to tell you. They're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Those nurses were like the ones keeping everybody sane, but I don't know. Dr. John, what do you have to say about that? Dr. John, what do you have to say for yourself and your profession? I think we're awesome. And <laughs> these, these nurses are constantly giving us crap, you know? I think we're awesome. I, <laughs> That poor man. That, that poor, poor, poor man. Poor right? man. She took all of his money and then burned the house down. She wasn't even practicing medicine anymore. So really, was she really a doctor? I think not. Was I, she though? I think she was just lost her marble. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she most certainly did. Well, neighbors reported that her hair was wet when she ran over to ask for help. Investigators theorized that the flash from the fire singed her hair and she ran it underwater to put it out. They later discovered that her hair did have fire damage. So they also found empty lighter fluid in the garage that was consistent with evidence collected from the fire. Putting this evidence together, they were convinced that Deborah had purposefully lit the fire. These people are absolute geniuses. <laughs> Investigators then had to determine if she also had tried to poison Michael with the castor beans. So through antibody testing, they discovered that he had been exposed to castor beans at least three times, a significant amount of ricin, that, that ingredient that's found in those beans. So she was charged with two counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. Prosecutors believe that she was afraid of losing them in the divorce, which is, you know, that classic family annihilator syndrome that happens. It's not about love. That's not, it's never about love. When you are willing to destroy another person, you know, week after week we tell these stories but there are a lot of stories out there of people killing each other because they quote love the other person and they're afraid they're going to lose them it's not about love that is never about love it's about control i would rather them not be here if i can't be with them like that's mm -hmm. that that is a, a psychosis that is a crazy mentality that mother that drove her four kids into a lake I, I forget what the frick her name was but she was going through like a postpartum psychosis and tried to play it off like she had just accidentally driven the car into the lake she got out but none of the kids could you know like she made it out and come to find out that she kept feeling like they were the the voices or I don't know somebody was telling her she needed to kill the children like there's always something, there's always a deeper something going on. And she, or she wanted to hurt her husband. Like what better way to get to him than to him to suffer the loss of the children? You know, like, it's like, what, what can I do to him that will actually be an ultimate something that'll bother him? You know, it's, it's just twisted. It's, it's, it can't be a normal person. They've got to be cuckoo. I, I, I don't know what else to say. It's awful. Mm -hmm. I agree. They did a, a full arse, arson investigation, and apparently they did dis decide it was a case of arson. They said that they used dogs to try to identify accelerants, and they identified several suspicious areas within the house. They theorized that alcohol was poured onto Michael's desk and lit on fire, and they also found poor patterns, quote, poor, like P-O-U-R, poor patterns, that led to Deborah's bedroom door. She had claimed it was closed, but that 
was really inconsistent with the damage that investigators found. So they found her bathrobe in a, in a ball in her bathroom with burns that indicated whoever had been wearing it was very close to the fire. And then meanwhile, all this is going on. Michael had to undergo brain surgery to repair some of the damage that had been done from the ricin poisoning. Jeez. Honey, I will never poison you with ricin. Don't ricin me. Aww. I just want you to know, if things ever go bad, I will never buy those beans, ever. I'm going to hold you to that. I love you. I love you. I will take half your stuff, but I will not poison you <laughs> with the, the castor beans, okay? Let me look that up really quick on Amazon you while y'all. You heard it here, you guys. This is a verbal contract. Yeah, exactly, verbal contract. <laughs> well, she was arrested and charged with two counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. But rather than face trial, she took a plea bargain. And in exchange for avoiding the death penalty, she pleaded no contest to five charges, two counts of capital murder, one count of arson, and two attempted first-degree murder charges. She read a statement about how she was not in her right mind the night of the fire, and she received two concurrent 40-year sentences. So right now, her surviving daughter, Kate, has remained on her side and still believes she's wow. innocent. Jessica, did you watch that part of the forensic files where she's in the investigators, like that room where they, the detectives are like grilling her with all the questions? What did you think about her demeanor? Because I felt like she was... I don't know. I felt like her demeanor was so she said something like, they didn't save her. Why didn't they save her? I could have gotten the other well, one. And then she said I'll something. I'll never forgive I think, myself for I that. Think she said something like, I've, I've taught these kids how to escape like fires before or something. She said something along those lines, but it was all very defensive. Like, like why didn't they get out? They should have gotten out. Like, I, I don't know. It just sounded like she was making up excuses or, or something. I, it wasn't like a mother that would be bawling her eyes out like my babies. Like it was just like this, like it shouldn't have happened. Like why did they die kind of thing? Um, but I, I do remember them saying that it seemed like she purposely had closed off the door for the kids to be able to escape is what I, I remember them saying on the episode. Almost like she did want those kids to die or maybe some of them. I, I don't know. And they also said, I think that, and, and maybe this is what you're about to get to, but one of them passed away. One of the kids passed away from the smoke inhalation, but the other one passed away from being burned to death. Literally, the autopsy revealed that one of the children just died from being burned. They were alive when they were burned. They're both freaking horrible. I don't care if you choke to death on smoke or if you're lit on fire. I mean, to do that to your own children is just... I don't, I just, I, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. It's hard to wrap your brain around. I know it is really hard to, to wrap your brain around how someone, even if you are vindictive and you want to get back at your spouse, how in the world you could do that to your children. I don't know. She's tried several times since to have her plea thrown out, citing that prescription drugs had kept her in a haze. She claimed that Margaret, you know, his girlfriend, the nurse, had driven Poor her Margaret. husband to commit suicide. So her thing is, I guess what she's saying is that he was trying to kill himself. And that's why the ricin was in his system. And also that perhaps she and Michael had conspired to start the fire. So she's just blaming everyone else for all of these things. In 2000, she requested new sentencing due to the prescription drug haze issue. And then once it became apparent that capital punishment would be an option, she withdrew her request. So she's like, oh, wait, so 
if she requests a new sentencing and then they're like, oh, this is a capital murder. We could actually give you the death penalty. All of a sudden she's like, yeah, never oh. mind. I don't want to mm-hmm. <laughs> change your mind. I just want to ask you, hubby, Dr. John, if if you were going to kill yourself, like, would you, what would be your option? Do you think that you would pick the beans, like slowly poison yourself, like slowly with diarrhea and, and GI bleeds? Or would you want to put yeah, blood or, until or, you die? I don't know. Or would you yeah, pick something it, a little It quicker? makes no sense because it's like, who thinks about how am I going to cover up my suicide? Like you want it to be a mystery. That's a really twisted person. Yeah, maybe if it looks like my wife was poisoning me, I could give myself <laughs> diarrhea for four months and then bleed out from my GI tract. That's out. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's the worst idea ever. I can't believe she even tried to pass that off. Well, in 2004, she asked to have her plea thrown out because of new studies refuting, quote, fire science. An arson investigator's determination of poor patterns, you know, those poor patterns we talked about, which can be different in every single fire, but the judge ruled against her. So we've talked about, we actually have talked about this on previous shows because there really is junk science associated with fires. And over the years, there have been people who were convicted on this fire science. And then later they find out, oh, never mind. (laughs) That's not really a thing. There's people sitting in jail because the arson investigator decided based on the science that this person was guilty. Wait a minute. What's what fire science? Like, like the poor patterns, you mean? Like, like that maybe isn't a thing or? Yes. Like, and, and like, oh, okay. Because there's this kind of pattern on, you know, this wall from the fire, that means the the fire was started here or started because of this. And then later, this all in the early, you know, in the 80s and the early 90s, this is the way it was. And then that all changed. They changed that whole, like, I don't know, the recommendations for how they do those investigations. Mm -hmm. And so then after that, then the arson investigators are using this new standard. And so all these convictions from before are called into question because people are convicted on this stuff. I mean, you think about it, you're a juror and you're sitting there and you are listening to someone that's quote an expert. So yeah, there is definitely something to be said about this quote fire science. There have been cases where people have been prosecuted and convicted on this junk science that was then later, they changed all of the regulations and changed all of the recommendations for, and then these arson investigators now, what they would have once called arson are now saying it's not, or at the the very least, it's undetermined. Well, you've got all these people that were convicted on the science and they're in jail. And so what she's saying is she was convicted, you know, using this quote, junk science, but the judge didn't buy that. So she tried again in 2015, citing unclear terms in the plea deal, but the judge ruled that she knew what, what, it contained. I feel like it's the same judge. He's like never gonna die as long as yeah. He's like just <laughs> stop, Deborah. Just give it up. It's not happening mm-hmm. for you. So her earliest release date is November twenty first in two thousand thirty five, when she'll be eighty four. Michael eventually broke up with Margaret, but remarried a lawyer. So he <laughs> he, he traded in the nurse for a lawyer. Poor Margaret didn't get nothing. It sounds like I don't I don't know unless they got married. Then maybe I don't know. Yeah, he wised up and decided to marry a yeah. lawyer so he would get half. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm going to stay at home now. If you want to see who's staying at home? It's me. I feel bad for this guy, honestly. What a what a horrible story. Seriously. He's still working. He's still working in medicine in Kansas City. Oh. So, you know, this is just a crazy story. And I, I just feel like, I mean, if you watch all, you know, you watch the forensic files and they, that's, you know, that... It's supposed to be true to the story, but then, you know, kind of read the, the reading the court case and all the research um, that we did on it. It's hard to believe that all these things were coincidences and that somehow, you know, like she had two houses that were down. It's hard to, to you know, to fall on, on her side right, at all, right. really. Sorry, Deborah. You're probably where you mm-hmm. should be. Women family annihilators are exceedingly rare. There's no doubt about that, but... I'm thinking that she's kind of fitting the bill. She's definitely that overachiever kind of controlling person. She wanted to be perfect, wanted things perfect in her way. And that was her way of controlling it, I guess, in her weird, twisted way. I don't like it. Sad. God bless her daughter. You know, like standing beside her mom, I, I just, wow. I think sometimes people just don't want to believe the truth. They, they, they just would rather not believe that and it's just easier to think that uh the system failed your mom rather than believe that she tried to kill you and that she killed your siblings that's harsh that's a hard one so i guess we can talk about this i've been dying to talk about this good nurse story it's actually a good doctor story there's nurses there's a little bit of everybody sort of like the bad doctor story there's like a little bit of everything in this one Everybody listening to this probably already knows this because I think I've gotten an email from everyone (laughs) about it. That's okay. We're going to talk about it. You guys are asking to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. A woman gave birth prematurely on a flight to Hawaii and there were three NICU nurses and a doctor on board to help. So, I mean, the most amazing part of this story to me is the fact that the woman had no idea she was pregnant. Dr. John, come on. Really? I can't believe this. This is really hard for me to believe. Do people really not know? Have you ever seen this before? I've seen people say it before, but I agree that it makes you question, are they in some sort of a denial state? But I don't know. It would be rather chauvinistic of me to, you know, render a final verdict on whether it's possible or not. What about the, like, there's, there's factors at play. First of all, how far along you are. Secondly, it sounds horrible, but if you are obese or larger where maybe you don't notice the changes as much in your, in your abdomen, maybe you're somebody that eats a lot of gassy foods and you feel like you constantly have weird things in your belly, like doinks, like maybe you pass it off as gas pain. I, I don't know. I'm trying to understand now, if this woman was 29 weeks, I would say maybe it's possible. It, it, now, you get further along in pregnancy where the baby's really gaining weight and you've got a seven-pounder punching you from the inside. I don't know. I, for me, it would be hard to understand, but I, I think that the mind can play tricks on people more than you realize. Like I think that uh, a lot of times you can convince yourself of almost anything. Like if you really want to convince yourself you're not pregnant, you might believe that. She could, of course, have some sort of psychiatric diagnosis. You know, the other thing I was thinking about is, you know, maybe she had some sort of fertility issues and thought that she could never possibly get pregnant. You know what I mean? And then here, boom, you end up not feeling well on a flight, you know, but so, yeah, definitely rare. That's for sure. Yeah, she didn't look particularly obese to me. No, she didn't look 
like severely heavy. No, like she looked not skinny by like uh, anorexically skinny, but she looked like an average typical mm-hmm. female. I don't know. But the, the thing is like, you don't know you're pregnant, then what you think something's falling out of your vagina. <laughs> like you're like, Oh God, I left a tampon in there. What's happening? Like it's really hurting and cramping. Maybe I forgot I don't know, like, what goes through your mind? They didn't say, like, you know, there was she was just in her seat, right? I mean, she might have been in the bathroom, probably no, right? They didn't specify. No, but I'm just saying, obviously, she felt like something needed to come out. Like, she had, she had to have felt like, oh, my... Or she felt rectal pressure like women do. Maybe she felt she had to take a big dookie. I, I, I don't know. I would love to know the description that she gives. Like, that would be very interesting to hear. Yeah. I mean, this, this article says about halfway through the flight, there was an emergency call. And it says, I've experienced this before. And usually they're pretty clear asking if there's a doctor on board. And this is a family medicine doctor, Dr. Dale Glenn. And the family medicine doctors that I deal with at the hospital, I can just imagine how panicked he must have been in a news release from the hospital he said this call was not like not like this and it was fairly urgent i let the flight attendant know i'm a physician and she said we have a woman having a baby so i hurried over to see what i could do i i cannot imagine poor dale this is like er doctors when a woman comes in and they're about to push they're like ah quick call labor and delivery get them out of here well how often have the family physicians deliver babies uh, maybe once during medical school i don't know the, they're supposed to have an entire obstetrics rotation during residency but they do and they get in and out as fast as they, they can sure and they don't want to do it but imagine he's been in family medicine for 20 years well it's just like a nurse and the, no different than a nurse you know a cardiac nurse like me who they like i own cvicu where i work they will occasionally put nurses there nurses go into heart failure you know and that are pregnant and things like this happen. They have nurses who are, have, have maybe a problem with substance use disorder and they end up on our, our floor pregnant and we all, all those cardiac nurses are looking at each other like, ah, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Like we, if you don't deal with it on a regular basis. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They have a labor and delivery nurse that's down there taking care of all of that stuff. And then the cardiac nurses are handling right. the cardiac stuff and like I don't want to do with your stuff and you don't want to deal with my stuff and it's right yeah that's how it is I feel like the, you know doctors are the same way I see this all the time I, I work at a teaching hospital so I deal with residents all the time that are brand spanking new that don't know anything they come in there and they'll just their eyes are this big and they're just like this is my first day I don't know anything you know they're just like panicked <laughs> And <laughs> I'll never forget when I was brand new nurse. Uh, I was a new nurse working on progressive care, like a step down unit and a brand new doctor. It was like July and a brand new doctor came running up to me and he was like, this patient. Oh, my God. And he's like freaking out. And he's like, what's that thing? Then that, that oxygen, the oxygen, the, 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 the next thing after the, the nasal cannula. What is it? What is it? I was just like standing there. I'm new, too. A non a non rebreather? Is that what I mean? I, I don't know if you meant a venti mask or a non rebreather or vapotherm. I don't even know high flow nasal cannula. What the heck? I don't know. I was just like standing there. I didn't know the, anything. I knew nothing. I was just like he and I were in the same boat. <laughs> I know nothing. You know yep. nothing. So I was like, I don't know. Let's just go in there together. So the two of us run in there to this uh, patient. He's sitting up in the chair, absolutely fine. Okay, he is. He's just like, what's up, guys? <laughs> and I was. I looked at him and I looked at the doctor and I was just like, what, what are we upset about? 
Are we are we in the right are we in the right room? Yeah, like, I mean the guys up just you know how they are. These people are just messing around. So that waveform is all over the place. The O2 monitor is just like it doesn't mean a thing. But that resident, he's like, This is my first and he even said that to me. This is my first day on the floor. I don't know what to do. I was like, We're good here. This Poor is guy. not accurate. He's yeah. if, let me just tell you yeah. something right now. If their patient is sitting up in the chair talking to you, they're fine. Don't look at the monitor, look they're... at the patient. You know, that's just the thing. Like we're we're all like when you're new, you're new. Even when you're experienced, if you've been doing the same thing for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden you get the specialty thrown at you, you're just like, wait, I remember that there's a lot of bad things that can happen when when delivering a baby. That's what I remember. Like, I remember something about shoulder dystocia. <laughs> I remember something of, like really bad stuff that can happen. That's one that Dr. John does not like, right, honey? No. Shoulder dystocia is not. It's a bad day. It happens. You got to deal with it. But that's, uh, ugh, ugh. nobody likes that. That's for sure. I guarantee you that this lady did not have a shoulder dystocia, though, with a 29-weeker. Apparently, it came out just fine, which is amazing. And the NICU nurses, I mean, NICU nurses, are able to, you know, take care of the little baby, you know, once it's out and the little, you know, um, but they don't necessarily deliver the babies, but everybody did a great job. Apparently they did all kinds of make makeshift medical stuff, um, you know, warming bottles and all this stuff. And, and they did a great job taking care of it. I think I thought it was great. You know, did the three I'm assuming did the three NICU nurses know each other? They were on the flight together, I wonder, because that's a lot of NICU nurses. I know a three NICU nurses and a doctor. How can this not be? This sounds like a joke. <laughs> three NICU yeah. nurses and a doctor walk into a bar. <laughs> I don't know. You always hear that joke. It's like you're off shift and then you hear, is there a medical person around? And everybody's like, oh, like, no, I know. Don't call me. I guess it does happen. But God bless her and God bless those nurses for being creative. I would think of anybody, a NICU nurse, that was the best fit, like because they they would think of little things like that, like heating little water bottles, to keep the baby warm. And, you know, um, I, I'm I, I read the story and so did my husband. They didn't mention anything about oxygen, but I would assume that they probably got like a little, you know, tubing or something and gave at least the kids some blow by oxygen or something, you know, because it's 29 weeks. I mean, great job for all of them that that helped her. Yeah. They used shoelaces to tie the umbilical cord. John, what do you think of that, honey? Yeah. And I mean, I, I was just kind of, you hear about all these plain things all the time, you know, and you just think, ah, nothing can be all that bad. They'll just do an emergency landing or whatever. And it's like, these guys are in the middle of the Pacific. Like there's no, there's no emergency landing. Yeah. Where were they going to land? There wasn't even a nothing. That, that was the really cool part of the story for me was seeing all the makeshift ways that they did it using the Apple watch to monitor the kid's heart rate. I'm like, that's crazy that it, that it can actually do that. You know, that it would work on a kid. That's really creative. And I, even I was talking with my hubby today. I'm like, where do you think they strapped it on the kid? Like on its arm? Like where'd they put this Apple watch to get the heart rate? You know, I'm like, this is an, an L&D nurse coming out. I'm like, did they wrap it around its foot? Like, like you would do an O2 sat? Like, I'm just, I was just curious. Like the back of the leg, maybe. I don't know. That's weird. Like under the popliteal. That was very smart of them. That was a good way yeah. to monitor the heart rate. So It was. I feel like that, that was just so creative and, and all four of them working together. And it was such a sweet picture of the, the mom who is obviously in complete shock. 
She just had a baby and she didn't know she was pregnant. That's just crazy. I, I'm so proud of these people. She looked really happy. Like, oh, it wasn't a tampon. Look at that. It's it's a it's a little booger. Look at it. It's so cute. Like maybe she was thrilled. I, I, I she had to have been in shock. But that is a cute story. You know what I thought about too when I was reading this and thinking about all the stuff that they didn't have is I wonder if planes keep gloves on board. I'm sure they do. I would hope so because if I found out that they didn't, I would probably fly with a pair of gloves in my mm-hmm. carry on. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I just wouldn't want to get stuck in that situation. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe, the, I mean, I, I know they've got defibrillators on the flights, but maybe they should have a, a, a vag delivery kit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Some some sterile scissors, some clamps. I don't know. Something. But very cute story. Yeah, I did. I actually, before you sent it to me, I had I had already heard this story. I forgot the part that she didn't know she was pregnant. That was kind of a big deal. Good job to everybody on that on that plane. Kudos to you guys. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. So for our not necessarily nursing news story, so I, Jessica, did you have a chance to watch that YouTube video of the little, the adorable couple that had just left their OBGYN? No, I did. This part I did not watch. I, I read the part that you were like, if you have a crazy story to contribute. So tell me, I have no clue what it is. This was. is the most adorable thing. I like just watching the video is so cute. The two of them are so funny. She could, first of all, when I, I'm watching it and they, you know, if you ever tried to like tell a story and it's so funny that you can't even get the words out, that's exactly what this woman was doing. She could not talk. She was laughing so hard. It was so cute. But then when she said, the actual story, I was just like, how in the world is she laughing about this? And so I'm just like, this is the best woman ever. They are so adorable. So basically what happened to this woman is she went to the OBGYN and she's pregnant and she's getting her little checkup. And the uh, the doctor is like, okay, I'm going to get the KY jelly, squirt, squirt. And then he goes to... Um, check everything out and she is like <gasps> and she's so she hands the camera over to her husband and she says honey tell him what did I do and he starts making these ridiculous like noises like oh my god oh my god and well apparently the doctor instead of getting KY jelly got hand sanitizer <laughs> oh Jesus Christ oh for Christ's sake ouch 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 <laughs> I'm hurting already for the love of all that's holy oh my god who put that in his hand? That must be a, a family medicine resident right there. <laughs> oh, I can't. That was a nurse's first day. She's like, oh, this looks like some lubricant. Here we go. Let's put that on her Nina for the love of, oh my God, ouch. Okay. Talk about any substance that would do the exact opposite for what you're wanting. I mean, that would just make her recoil. She would recoil coil off. Of she's the- like, it was burning. She said, oh my gosh, it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. And she, <laughs> and she said, I just told him, get out, get out, get out. She was like, but she was laughing so hard. I don't know how you could laugh about that. Like, 
I would find it so traumatizing. And she was just, she thought it was so funny. And she said the doctor was just like, oh my are you okay? God. Are you okay? Like he was freaking out, but she was just like, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Was that not funny? I can't imagine. John, that wasn't his fault, was it? It could be. I mean, maybe he didn't even have an assistant. I I will just say as an L&D nurse and any time that you went to do internal exams on patients, the nurse usually gives you the squirt, right? Or no. But tell the truth. Tell the truth. For those physicians that are not self-sufficient, I do it myself. But you always have a nurse in the room. Well, right? yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to be, I'm not the type that's like, glove me. Lubricate. The majority of them are put on their glove and they stand like this. Like they, you must assist them with the lube. You have to, oh, here I am, doctor. Let me give you the lube. Like, like they couldn't do that. You know, I, I don't know, but I, I kudos to you, honey, for putting your own <laughs> When you were my nurse, then yes, I-, I Yeah, I you did. You wanted me to stay longer to stay in the room. <laughs> That's what I think happened. Yeah. He's like, I- I'm going to need you to get me this and this and this. But but poor girl, what a, what a horrible, horrible story. I-, I thought you were about to tell, I had a story one time and my husband's heard me tell this, but I had a physician one time come into the room um, to check. This is in, in labor. He came to check the patient. Okay. And I don't know if he lost his marbles or what, but instead of putting on his sterile glove, he put on no glove, no, no glove at all. And just went in barehanded to check Mm. the patient. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was a bit shocked. I was mortified. (laughs) I thought that's disgusting. And nobody said a word. Then he asked for the amni hook to break the water. This is all just barehanded. Just, just, Jamming and a jiving, I had no words. This was the same man that had an amniotic fluid splash on his mustache and just came out to the nurse's station with the just the drippings right in the right in the stash <laughs> to the point that we were like, um, excuse me, you've got some stuff in in the stash. You've got some stuff in your stash. <laughs> and instead of being mortified, like, oh my god, let me get to the bathroom, it was like I think mustaches should be illegal in obstetrics. Just going to say it. Some people think they're super manly, but I don't know. Just maybe in the medical field uh, altogether. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Or how, how could you not feel liquid <laughs> on there? Like that just, I would feel like you could feel it. I don't know. God bless America. But yeah, there's been some, we've dealt with some. Did he not have stuff. a mask on? There was no mask. I mean, for delivery, they do gown up. They put their gown, they put their gloves on, but it's optional. Back in the day, they, John, they didn't wear a mask up until COVID, really. I mean, you guys did deliveries all the time without a mask on. Like, if you ever got splashed with the amniotic juices, usually people go and wash their face. I, I don't know. It's just... Very interesting. That was a, that's a good story. I guess it's sterile. Uh, yeah. I mean, truly, I, I don't know. What are the chances unless usually, you know, if they have an STD or something. So I don't know. I guess if you don't mind it, I, I don't, I have no other. Words. Oh my God. Sorry. This is very detailed. There goes my appetite for dinner. Well, what's funny is that it's really hard to gross me out. I mean, come on. You think, you know, stuff we see. We, wipe people's butts for crying out loud we deal with c, c- diff we deal with abscesses i mean like it can't it's kind of like i don't get grossed out it's just like but 
to think of it coming on to you, you as a like my per- I no I, I gotta have a barrier I gotta have gloves I gotta have a mask I gotta have something if something splashes on my skin oh my gosh I've been splashed before there's been some deliveries that are very quick that you don't have time to get the gown on like you're lucky if you get a pair of gloves on but I will tell you if you do get splashed the first thing you want to do is clean up like you you know, you want to get the scrubs off and get on other scrubs. I don't know. Maybe he didn't notice or didn't care. I'm not sure. But honey, has anything ever splashed in your face? And did you clean it? Well, of course. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, Honey, let's hear what's the worst thing that's ever happened to your uh, face? Was it vomit, uh, actually, amniotic fluid? Let's hear it. Come on. Think back. <laughs> You've got to have something. The first surgery I ever watched was a total knee replacement. This is when I was just in undergrad i was standing there and the ortho guy was so excited to like show me everything explain everything and he cuts into the joint capsule and the synovial fluid shot over the drape up over where i was by anesthesia and right into my face oh lord and i thought i was good for a minute you know i was like that's cool. Yeah, we'll keep going, you know, wipe it <laughs> off, you know. Did the circulator and, come with like a little gauze and like dab you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't scrubbed in or anything. You know, a minute or two later, I'm like, man, it's, whew, it's getting hot in here, you know? And I, I, I almost passed out. I, I went out of the room and cleaned myself up. <laughs> and you decided I do de- definitely don't want to go into orthopedics. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I will deal with the vagina. No, I, I had a little crisis at that moment because I was far into the pre-med thing. And I'm like in the bathroom yelling at myself in the mirror, like, come on, get back in there. Like, What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Then I went back in. You had a little come to Jesus moment. Come on, sights. Get back in there. Yeah. <laughs> You're okay. Little joint juice never killed anybody. <laughs> Did you read the Gummer blog about how women are creating new birthing centers in barns? I saw this. Yeah. I I read all of it and I about peed my pants. Seriously. Well, it was the funniest thing I've seen. It's hilarious too. because it's it's how ridiculous people get, you know? This is exactly how people are. This was a play on Jesus, Mary, and Joseph <laughs> in the manger, basically, is what it was a play on it. It was like, I think it said in a quote, if it's good enough for Mary, it's good enough for me. I'm like, I just can't with this. I, I, I thought it was hysterical. Well, and I think it's just like, Tina, do you want to explain it? Yeah. Further? So this is of course, like, Gummer blog. It's a satire or a, a website that does medical satire. So I, I am a huge fan. I love, I love their website. I love their articles. It's so funny. Um, so this is the article is called Barn Birthing Centers Gaining Popularity Across Nation. It says a new birthing option for expectant mothers is currently taking the nation by storm. Barn birthing will soon supplant the water birth as the go-to option for women wanting a more natural birthing experience. Barn birthing centers have been popping up all over the country to meet the growing demand. 28-year-old Cadence Loverly is excited to give the barn birth a try. I didn't want to have my baby in a hospital. The expectant mother announced, <laughs> that's where germs lived. <laughs> I love the idea of having my baby in a barn. Jesus was born in a barn. <laughs> What's good enough for Jesus is good enough for me. <laughs> that's what they said. What good enough is Jesus is good enough for me. <laughs> of course. I kept thinking about like somebody milking a cow <laughs> at the same time as the mother breastfeeding. And I just, I just, I was thinking about the symbolism of like, 
maybe there's a cow there and they're getting the milk. So appropriate. And from the udders. I, I don't know. I was like, okay, may, maybe. I I don't know. Then what what else did they say, <laughs> Tina? Because it gets it's funny. Loverly spent months finding the ideal barn for her labor. She ultimately settled on a big bread barn belonging to an 82-year-old farmer, Jed Pickens. Loverly reported reportedly fell in love with the barn's rustic look, gorgeous natural light, and the cool evening breeze <laughs> wafting through the antique windows. She has also been delighted by the gracious hospitality of Mr. Pickens. I cleared out a space in the back next to the goats, Pickens as said as he shoveled fresh manure out of the stall belonging to a cow named Delilah. I don't understand it, but for 800 bucks, I'll even lay out some fresh hay for the new kiddo. Some innovative farmers provided luxury barn services for an extra fee. This can range from an oil lantern to use at night to a scratchy wool blanket for warmth. One barn birthing center in Iowa offers a birthing saddle to help progress help progress labor. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has expressed concern for the barn birthing practice, citing imminent dangers such as rusty <laughs> nails, communicable diseases, and the possibility that a horse may walk in without wearing the appropriate delivery room attire. No bouffant, no mask, nothing, announced an exasperated spokesperson for ACOG. Despite the controversy, Loverly and other forward-thinking women like her are excited to spend their first moments as a mother in the natural warm embrace of a giant barn. I thought about doing a traditional water birth, said Loverly, but then I realized most barns have a water trough I could use just in case. That's my favorite part. <laughs> have a water trough. Right? There's a water trough. If she wants to dip in and feel comfy, she can just get in the trough. <laughs> I mean, this is great, but it does, it, this is hysterical because it, it shows how you can get wrapped up in some hoopla. Like everybody's like, oh, this is the new trend. Yes. Yeah. Especially if you deliver at Christmas time, you, you should deliver in a bar. Of course. And, and then maybe people bring you gifts like the three wise men. I don't yes. know. You need three wise men. You need the frankincense and gold and myrrh, all that stuff. Absolutely. I loved that. I thought it was great. I thought it was hysterical. I think it's funny because I think I'm all for, you know, women that want to have a natural childbirth or or whatever their experience that they want. I always think, you know, I, I understand that most people can have their baby in the back of a taxi or in on an airplane, as we just read. But if something goes wrong, don't you want don't you want to be in a hospital with a professional that knows what they're doing? And then Dr. John, Dr. John, what is your take on this? My take on this is that if you're a first time mom, I feel more comfortable in a hospital. If you've done this three or four times and everything's fine, you know, then, you know, that you've proven yourself a little bit. So go for the taxi. You know, it's a much better story. Yeah. But if, <laughs> if you don't know yet what, it sounds horrible, but you don't know yet what your body's capable of, I guess. Like when it goes bad, it goes really bad, usually. Um, and that's the part that's scary is like you starts going bad. And then you, I, I mean, imagine an awful shoulder dystocia and you're in a barn. Okay, let's go with the barn. Um, and the baby's head is stuck. What do you do? I'm sure they have a midwife or what do you call them, doula or someone like that. I'm sure they have someone there that's experienced, but it, when you don't have all of the... John's laughing at doula. I don't know what they call those people. They do, but they're not 
equipped to perform emergency surgery. They, that's not happening. They cannot give anesthesia. So there is a large gap in transition from this barn. I'm not going to say birthing center, but from the barn to the hospital where chances are if it's going badly, the oxygen, God, am I getting too detailed? The oxygen deprivation is going to be a long time. Did I say that right, Dr. John? Or is that too descriptive? No, you did a great job. Okay. Thank you, honey. Thank you. So that's why he loves me because I just, I look, I'm speaking for poor Dr. John here. But yeah, that's the thing is if your body's done it and you can have babies and you spit them out like popcorn, uh, go for it. Deliver wherever you want, you know, but it's, it's, it's uh, risk versus benefits kind of thing that you got to think about. That's the tough part. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to give birth in a trough. Somebody might like. Yeah, there. I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast that are probably like, I like. I had my baby in a barn. I mean, that's. I'm. I would never say it is fine. And and I'm so glad that it, everything was. Yeah, I don't want somebody to be mad at me. I'm so glad that it worked out wonderful for you. And that is amazing. Like kudos to you. Kudos that your body did it. I just feel for that fraction of people that unfortunately get themselves in a situation that then in hindsight, they regret it. That's all I'm saying. There's people just need to be informed, I guess. They just need to be informed as to if something does go wrong, how long it takes to get to somewhere that they can do the interventions that they need to do. That's all. Everybody's entitled to their own decision, their own opinion. Don't send me hate mail, people, please. Nor Tina, okay? (laughs) Yeah, please don't do that. I'm sure I'll get the emails. It's okay. (laughs) I've just gotten used to it. Just blame it on me. Send your emails to Nurse Jessica Sites. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Just, just send them on down. It's all right. I, I love all of you people, The all the natural birthers. I just like to warn people. That's all. That's part of being a nurse. We, we explain the, the good side and we explain the bad side. You have to. You got to give the good with the bad, Very, right? She yes. brings it full circle. There you go, people. There you go. It's a wrap for tonight. That's all I got to say. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. I appreciate you so much, Dr. John, for coming on the podcast and dealing with our shenanigans. Anytime. It's been fun. I love him. I knew I'd get him to do it, Tina. I knew. I just didn't know when. As soon as you told me delivery and op- I was like, oh, today's the day. Today's the day. He was a little worried about me with what I told you about my supporter. So he knew better than to tell me no. Right, honey? I would have done it regardless. Oh, Aww. see, he loves me. Hey, honey, we're all going to be on the same cruise ship. I've seen the videos with you guys. Those are the best when the viewers ask the questions. That's what people love. Yeah. So remind everybody where they can find you, Jessica. Oh, okay. Okay, I would love for you guys to follow me on Facebook, Nurse Jessica Sites, and I'm growing rapidly on Instagram, also at Nurse Jessica Sites. It's basically Nurse Jessica Sites everywhere, YouTube, TikTok, but Instagram is the next place that I am rapidly growing, so I would love for you guys to follow me on there. All of my videos are posted on both on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. You can see some of my crazy shenanigans with myself or with me and my hubby as he describes and give some specific details about labor, delivery, and all sorts of OBGYN questions. So yes, I thank you, Tina, for saying that. But yes, I'd love for you guys to follow me. You could listen to my crazy butt on all of these channels. Yeah, you guys will love her. And that's S-I-T-E-S, Jessica Nurse Jessica Sites when you look her up. And of course, you can find me at GMB and Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find me on Goodness Bad Nurse on Instagram and 
You can email me if you want to email all your complaints. You can complain about all the stupid stuff I said and the mistakes I made. <laughs> it's okay. I've developed a very thick skin over the past three years, so it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. I will accept all of your negative feedback. <laughs> and I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, please be a good nurse and a good doctor. <laughs>